0: everyone and welcome back to four at the back we are going to be carrying on our conversation about the biggest transfer disasters in premier league history lads. we had a good chat about this last last time out and one of the things that we never actually did was talk about how this affects us and our own clubs and some of the the hopes that we've had for players that were ultimately kind of dashed so yeah i mean what are some of these the ones that kind of jump out when you think of Spurs and Newcastle, let's say. I mean, obviously, we touched on some of the worst ones for, for Arsenal. So, Maz, don't worry, we've got you covered. Um, but what are the ones that have really kind of bothered you over the years as, uh, as transfers that just didn't work out? Probably the most recent one, really.
1: I mean, in Dombele, obviously, is our record signing. So, 54 million for a player who looked the absolute business, but is essentially a street footballer. It was a, a strange fit for Pochettino, who is... Quite heavily structured in what he likes to do. It was a poor fit for Mourinho, who prefers central midfield players that, that that drop in. Not a fit for Conte, who likes central midfield players that run around a lot. So he's kind of just ended up being, yeah, somebody that didn't fit any of the managers that we've had. Um, and I I could see what Pochettino was doing when we signed him because what he, what I guess what he was missing. Is that you're missing Moose, uh, you know, Moose Dembele, right? You know, somebody who could take the ball and dribble, you know, make space in midfield, eye for a pass, somebody that was a bit different, you know? And so I think probably that was the idea, but for various reasons, you know, language barrier, work ethic, relationship with his managers, whatever it is. He just has not worked out, and, and basically, we're going to take a, If we ever get rid of him, we're going to take a big, big, big loss on him. Um, you know, he's obviously gone back to Leon. They can't afford him either. Nobody can probably afford his wages. So it's going to be one of those ones that you're going to have to. I mean, you know, there's that uh, that phrase in American sports. You know, you just got to eat. You got to eat the dead money, and uh, and I think probably and Dunblay is one where that's that's going to be the case
2: I mean where do you want to start um <laughs> I, I mean as a Newcastle fan we've we've had plenty of plenty of flops over the years I mean, I think back to sort of the late 90s when we were bringing in players like John Dahl Thomason and Andreas Anderson to replace the the void left by Les Ferdinand and, uh, and Tino Espria left um, that season as well. So we, <laughs> it, it, it was not the same thing. One of these things was not like the other. Albert Luque, around sort of 2005, 2006 ish, was uh, a Portuguese winger who actually, like the highlights I've seen him in recently, he looked like a really good player, but just didn't produce often enough. Uh, Hugo Viana was one that also didn't quite fulfill his potential. If you'd asked me six months ago, Joe Linton would have been the biggest of the lot, uh, but it turns out he's he was an absolute bargain at forty million quid. If only we'd worked out he was a midfielder two years ago. The, the one that leaves the, the the worst taste in the mouth is is Michael Owen. Believe it or not, I've never been a I've never been a massive fan of him since his Newcastle days, but. I can understand why they looked at bringing him in, like an an iconic English striker to replace another iconic English striker. At the time, it was a club record. He'd just come back from a year in Madrid where he'd sort of struggled to, he struggled with fitness and like he barely played for us in those first two seasons. And then the the second two seasons, he was just not himself, not the player that, that you remember from the the late 90s and early 2000s he'd lost his pace he wanted to play deeper he scored 19 league goals over four seasons for us and then left on a free whereupon he drafted that infamous brochure to tout himself to other clubs um, in the summer after we were relegated Uh, so yeah Michael Owen's probably the the worst one uh, for Newcastle fans over the last 30 years of Premier League transfers.
1: So, uh, how about Villa, Pete? Give us, give us a, give us a classic Villa one.
0: Uh, I think Villa's a bit of an odd one to look at because no, it's not. There's one. There's there's a really obvious one. <laughs> there's several, <laughs> but what is different is that we don't have the big, spectacular one with like the massive fee, like that some clubs do, because. Doug was our chairman for so long and Doug wasn't free spending as everybody's probably aware. That's Doug Ellis to anyone that isn't old enough to remember. Chairman up until 2006. And our fees were, you know, decent for a Premier League side, but they were not astronomical. They didn't compete with what Leeds were spending, what Man United were spending uh, and so on. So then when we get to the era after that where Randy Lerner obviously is a bit more free spending and the current lots start to spend with more regularity most of the bigger ones have have worked out well enough you know, there's not really too much that you can say so they are smaller scale but there's a few that stand out the first one i can remember that was an, an unmitigated failure because there's a couple that are a little bit harsh that get that thrown around like savo some people call milosevic a fail which i think is a bit harsh but sasa churchich we signed from Bolton for 4 million quid in 1996. That was a failure, a complete disaster, because 4 million quid in '96 was a lot of money. A year or so after that, we buy Collymore for about 7 million from Liverpool, thinking that was going to be a, a really big transfer that would push us on to compete with the top, and Collymore did not perform for Villa at all, other than the odd momentous goal here and there. And again, 7 million quid doesn't sound a lot now. It was one of the more expensive signings that anyone had made in the Premier League era at that point and that's the one that probably hurts the most because I was a bit younger and I kind of bought into that all right that's exactly what we need you know Dwight York and Stan Collymore up front yeah sign me up never worked there's the embarrassment of the David Unsworth transfer that kind of is a bit of a disaster for Some reason, although you make all your money back, it leaves a a bad taste and you can never really kind of get rid of it. But I think this is probably the obvious one that I'm getting to now, which uh, is what you were mentioning a moment ago, Joe. That's uh, Bosco Balaban does jump out. There he is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Balaban was bought in for a a shade under six million quid, I want to say. And again, it's another one of these striker moves to kind of fill in. Once Dion Dublin starts to age, who can we get into? to round out the squad. And Balaban just doesn't play. He just isn't up to it. And I, I couldn't actually tell you how many appearances he makes for Villa in the end. I know he doesn't score at no point. And he's soon shipped off to kind of play in the reserves. And he threatens to do a, as we spoke about in the last episode, where you, one of that job where you just kind of take your money and you play with the kids and you know, I will see out this contract. And And he threatened to do that. And eventually Villa paid him off rather than have him, kind of sitting around on the as the kind of unhappy presence in the squad. It's a bad thing all round really. But there has been a couple since. I think you could call the entire 2015-16 summer window a disaster. Like none of the players by themselves stand out as being particularly disastrous, but if you take it in the round, yeah, that's you know, there's a lot of money on a lot of players who finished 20th by a distance. Uh the that so was weird, the weird french um
1: year where you just signed loads of crap french players not crap french players but young
0: french players yeah. so they all went they so all Debussy went to basically... be good didn't he yeah <laughs> debushi's not one of ours i don't oh, think one debushi was one of
2: ours oh so that's Debussy, right so deb, yeah so we we went through a bit of a hot streak in sort of the early 2010s where we, we we bought half of france and johan goodbye and mattia debushi and they turned out to be quite good and then graham carr got himself an eight-year contract as did alan pardy which probably was actually that. the worst signing we made <laughs> that was the worst contract
0: no ours were um guys like jordan Marvie and jordan verity french guys called jordan we went through a thing for in that summer and
2: so you're for jordan they all... as well or am i just... yeah yeah he's not yeah, french
0: okay. but we did buy a third jordan um and most of them that were the young, talented players were actually sold on eventually for pretty much what we bought them for or not too far off. So we didn't kind of lose out other than the fact that we'd been relegated, but it was that thing of buy a whole host of players, young players who don't have experience of the league, don't have experience of playing in a scrap for survival, throw them out into a struggling situation. And, and you know, you can see what's going to happen a mile away. Then there were some bad ones when we went down in the Tony Shah era, like Ross McCormick. I think uh, people forget just how bad that was. With the, It's only 12 million quid, but when you're in the second tier, that starts to feel like a lot. Mm, massively. And we haven't spent too much time on goalkeepers throughout this conversation. But you guys did... are like G- Gabor Kirai. <laughs> He was only alone, and he did all right for us in like the the little spell. No, I'm going just, to sort of. I just
1: think about the fact that Paul Skull said that he went for that volley because he saw the keepers in tracky bottoms, and so he probably didn't yeah. save it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to it's, be honest, I'm not sure anyone fo- would have saved that volley.
2: It's the football <laughs> equivalent of wicket keepers in short sleeves, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You can't keep uh, wicket was- in short sleeves and be taken seriously.
0: No, quite. I was just going to say, we did spend five million quid on Lovre Kalinic, who's still on the books. So I just would thought it was a good way to kind of stream us off maybe into some memorable goalkeeping disastrous transfers that we might have made or seen over the years. Heredia oh, Gomez was, was not great. Uh, I
1: don't know, it's, it's funny, Like he ends up kind of redeeming himself a little bit, but he was, it was a lot of money for uh, yeah a keeper that ultimately was you know kind um, of what Watford standard really
2: which is where he ends up isn't
1: it um, exactly
2: and I, I, I suppose sort of the, I suppose the obvious goalkeeper ones are the ones who came in for not for a long time but for a fun time like Massimo Taibi. you know I, I can I can still see him. I, did, did he wear tracky bottoms I can I still remember. see him in that I can still see him in that yellow kit just kind of Somehow letting a ball through his legs that he just smothered.
1: Fergie um, transfer disasters are always the most fun because they happen so rarely. <laughs> yeah, like uh, was it Bay, Bay or whatever his name was? Yeah, um, it was that that sort of like weird mini era of like Cleverson and Jamba Jamba? Yeah, Jamba Jamba. like that kind of like weird like two year period of Ferguson just like losing the plot and then going, hang on a minute.
2: I oh, they, they signed. They signed for Ron though, as well, didn't they? To and and that didn't work out. I mean, that that's that was quite an expensive one that didn't really work out.
1: But then Chelsea, Chelsea then bought for and made United
2: and their money back.
1: They yeah, they yeah. Weird <laughs> um, <laughs> one, uh, really.
2: Chelsea. I mean, going back to the goalkeepers thing, they they had um, Hilario, didn't they? Hilario by name. Yeah, was Hilario by nature. Third choice was he. Yeah, I think they when Peta Chat got injured one one year. And I, I, I don't think it was the same time he he, he got the, the concussion. But they, they they relied on Hilario for a few games and it, it didn't work out brilliantly.
0: I remember uh, that spell. Cuccini got injured pretty much
2: straight after
0: or, or something yeah. similar. Yeah.
1: I think when I look at I think when I look
0: at the Spurs ones,
1: like what really stands out to me is that like when you try and spend money on depth. It's rarely a good idea. So, if I look at Bergfine, for example, 27 million for a guy that's basically fifth choice forward. The fact that um, with the bail money, I mean, honestly, bless Lamella, love him to bits, complete shit house. scores for a bonus, love him. But 27 million for banter was probably quite a lot of money. You know, Aurier was 22 million. I mean, you're basically paying 22 million wow. quid for someone to foul people on the edge of the box, That's um, mental, isn't and, it? and score the odd banger running forward from right back. He was like a right winger, a big good player. I mean, there was these kind of strikers that were sort of third choice striker, like Darren Bent, Vincent Janssen. Good lord, uh, we kind of had this ongoing quest to try and find Kane a backup, but no one good wants to do it because they know that they're just like sitting on the bench behind Kane. So uh, you end up with like Vincent Janssen and an ancient um, Lorente on loan. So I think, I think that's the kind of message I think for Spurs is that, is that when you're spending a lot of money for a player, that's basically going to be a kind of a squad player, a like rotation player. He it, it doesn't tend to work out quite so well. Um, the other big one is Roberto Soldado, who was kind of signed to be, you know, the main man, the goal scorer ends up being a, a player that was very popular with the fans, but the goal return just wasn't there. And then, of course, Harry Kane emerges and um, him and Azebayor get kind of um, quite quickly marginalised. But still popular with the fans to this day, actually. He 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 put in a shift and, um, you know, never, ever let the club down in, in, in terms of effort. Just didn't really deliver on the goal scoring front hit the post the most uh, you know like he just seemed to hit the post all the time
0: I've got two other names to to throw at you while we're on Tottenham uh they've gone back a bit further and I think that makes the fees seem bigger because obviously we're used to massive fees now and then maybe that's something we have to factor in if if all transfer fees are inflated then how much does actually what you pay really kind of matter but to go back a little further David Bentley stands yeah out of me,
1: and that's, so that's does the... Sergo
0: Rebrov Rebrov,
1: Rebrov did all right. Um, he did okay. Obviously, was unbelievable playing with Shevchenko. Yeah, again, no, no fault in his effort whatsoever. Shevchenko similarly, like you know, like they didn't let a club down. Just didn't. Yeah, it wasn't like the massive, massive goal return. Um, I guess it's always gonna be a bit different playing with Shevchenko to, to to kind of playing as the as the kind of guy that's expected to be. You know the guy um but yeah Bentley is the one really where it it looks like a no-brainer you know what I mean like you're getting the guy that's supposed to be the next Beckham and basically I think the story of Bentley is that he he just fell out of love with the game I think and and he scores a couple he scores that one worldy against Arsenal actually which you know bless him for that But, but he he just seems to be not that bothered. He had all the talent, but he didn't really apply himself. And, and I think that's probably the story quite often. And I I think the, you know, the cautionary tale with buying young English players is sometimes they don't they have the eye of the tiger, I think. And he was done with football at a really, really young age. I think he was retired by 29,
2: you know, 29 or time. 30. Yeah, yeah it was
1: 29. Yeah. Just had that couple of good years at Blackburn to show for it. I think... There was a, there was a weird thing as well where he tipped the, the he tipped the water yeah. on Harry Redknapp when they got the Champions League and Redknapp never never forgave him for it. So that American tradition of the Gatorade bath didn't translate particularly well to Harry Redknapp. I think he you know by all accounts it was like that's it you're never playing
0: again. I think the Rebrov thing as much as anything is just that that fee seemed so much then because it's it's the year two thousand so. It's more money than Newcastle paid for Shearer. It's more money than Man United had just played for Dwight York. At that point, sixteen million was meant to guarantee you the big goal return, and it just didn't come off. I mean, I th- I wonder if when we look back on some of these, maybe that changes this as we understand that the way football was changing. But right back then, it was treated like it was a disaster. Uh,
1: I, I liked the player a lot. He was a very stylish player. He really. Worked very very hard and and I don't know I can't, I can't I can't really fault the effort he put in so yeah it's a bit of a shame because him and Shevchenko for that Kiev team were absolutely absolute dynamite and had that wonderful run Champions League semi finals I think was that the same year that Leeds were in there uh, trying to remember there was that it was like sort of early two thousands they had a yeah before Shevchenko went to Milan they had that that run semi finals of the Champions League and they were at, fantastic team so yeah it's a pity and and you know like Pavlyuchenko as well like had his moments at Spurs but but never quite quite got there and, and generally speaking actually when you sign quite often when you sign Russian Ukrainian Baltic States players they don't always adjust the Premier League for some reason I'm not quite sure what that is
2: can we talk about a player who almost ended up at Spurs and then didn't and then probably went on to have a similar career to David Bentley mm-hmm. possibly even worse actually Saido Berahino. oh yeah uh, yes. West uh, I think Stoke bought him for like 13 million pounds and he didn't score once for them
1: that's a real it's a real Premier. pity that kid is a real pity isn't it like like he's, look, he's gone
2: he's gone full Nile Ranger there
1: looked mm. like such a such a natural goal scorer and and he, yeah he just went off the rails. I mean, when you think about his players, they're just really talented as kids and they just don't quite make it. Like Ravel Morrison, you know, was meant to be an absolute world beater. And has just had this nomadic career. It's never made anything stick.
2: I mean, the mad thing with Ravel Morrison is you you think, you know, you still think he could do it. But there are still people in the game who think, you know, it. it might just come off.
1: He was meant um, to be the most talented player since Gascoigne, you know, <laughs> like yeah. the most naturally talented English footballer since Gascoigne, you know, and and you could see it sometimes when you, you you watched him, but it just never just never seemed to
2: stick. The other the other good one, just going back to Sunderland, actually, Jack Rodwell. Ugh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like we're talking about young English players who, it it might be symptomatic of like too much too soon where these young players are given huge amounts of money early on and their their motivation just goes yeah you know, Michael Richards talked about it quite recently didn't he like you, you suddenly give these 19 20 year olds their money goes up to 20 30 50 grand a week and if they're not going to play every week what are they going to do with it
0: mm. yeah I've just been through where well, you're talking the, thinking about the Berahino thing and I I think I'm I've come to the conclusion it's a much worse transfer than I first thought because Stoke weren't used to spending that kind of money as a general rule on that many people. And they signed him and almost immediately went into a decline because he wasn't putting in that kind of shift that you'd, you'd maybe expect that Stoke as a team definitely kind of needed. And I mean, I said you don't want to immediately blame one player in a team game, but every so often you do get transfers where someone is linked to a team kind of turning the wrong way, turning towards the, the bottom, and it starts it's a snowball effect. And, yeah, I just kind of think that for all the the Balabans and the Red Rovs or whoever we want to kind of throw Bentley, and a lot of the names that we've spoken about over the last couple of episodes, a lot of these disasters don't actually kind of cost the team too much, but every so often we come across ones that do. And, you know, Berahino's a potentially example of that, and then Rodwell, obviously, is... Uh, a big, big example of that. I think maybe the difference between what he did at Sunderland and some of the other examples that we've seen a, would come up where you say, well, of course, you're going to keep taking the money, is that Rodwell wasn't at Chelsea. They were kind of falling down the leagues as this kind of situation was going on. And again, maybe you can still take sympathy with the as like he knows his career is going to be over in a couple of years. But at the same time, it leaves a very different taste in the mouth
2: it's interesting isn't it because you you think about what Newcastle did in this transfer window and there, there were a lot of people who were it said we we're going to be the richest club in the championship and we we're going to sign Kieran Trippier on a, on a some mental contract and he'd be being paid a hundred grand a week to play in the to play in the championship but you think actually that if it doesn't work out I mean that that could have been fatal in another year in another year a new a team with Newcastle means now it, it wouldn't have mattered hugely but a team like Sunderland, you know, Rodwell was on something like forty grand a week in the Championship and never played. And then they got relegated again, and, and they couldn't get anyone to take him.
1: That's the problem. And, is that once and that's, you're and that's the problem. Wages, like they,
2: yeah, their reputation falls so much. And you think, had Danny Drinkwater been saddled at, at Burnley or something, if they'd signed him, and then they got relegated, like who who's going to want to take Danny Drinkwater after all he's been through in the last five years? Where's he going to go? What do these clubs do? How how are they going to get rid of them? Because, again, these players have inflated conceptions of their worth. So you're not going to get Jack Rodwell, who's being paid 70 grand a week at Man City, taking a contract where he's being paid seven grand a week at Coventry or something like that, even though that's probably his level at this point.
1: I seem to remember them interviewing Rodwell on Sunderland till I die. Obviously, like if you've not, anyone's not watched the Netflix series, like I think it's probably the best program ever made about football. <laughs> it's like, absolutely hilarious. But there is a bit where they they basically have a sit down talk with Jack Rodwell, and two things stand out. Like number one, this is this is not an Oxford don uh, talking to us by any means. And number two, he does seem completely unrepentant. Uh, you know, doesn't seem bothered about about the sort of the uh, the money he's making. I think they basically, as a team, they essentially are uh, uh, trying to think of a way to kind of get him off the wage bill, and he's quite uncooperative with it. Um, I can't quite remember the exact circumstances, but he didn't come across brilliantly.
2: But again, he didn't care. And if he's if he's making forty grand a week for nothing. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't say in that situation I, I'd be any, you know, if, if I knew I was out of my depth, but I'd managed, I'd managed to swindle people out of 40 grand a week, then I'd probably see that to the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the issue with, I mean, with football wages, more generally not to go into that rabbit hole. But you, you see it all the time, don't you? Like when you go into the championship, you've got two years of parachute payments, and if you don't come up in that time frame, it's going to be really difficult on your wage bill, but also on your chances of getting back to the promised land. So, like, you know, you have to, if you're Burnley now, you're thinking, right, how am I going to maximise our chances to get back up straight away? Because if we don't in the first two years, it's going to get tricky and we could end up in League One. And once you're in League One, you could end up in League Two. And
2: this is what's happened to... um... Oldham have just dropped out, haven't they? I know it's taken yeah. a long time, but you know it, it can be done. You can fall that far if if you don't if you're not careful about it. And the championship is it's such a hard league. I mean, you think about you know Nottingham Forest were when Nottingham Forest, were, when Nottingham Forest relegated last like two thousand. It's around then, yeah. Twenty two years they've they've been out there, and they, you know, they're they're big club. and they've That's not been was. able to do it. Um, you think of clubs that sort of were, were in the Premier Leagues sort or of the mid the, the mid 2000s things like that oh, Stoke nowhere near Swansea you know don't, don't seem likely to do it then and, and there's you look down in League One and League Two and that there are clubs who have played in the Premier League there's plenty of those premier League
0: clubs in League Two now when we did the Oldham episode, we kind of had a look at at who's down there. You know, you think it's not not that long ago that Bolton, who are now in League Two and have looked like they might drop out,
2: it's not that long ago they were a Premier League mainstay. You know, Bradford City were up there twenty years ago, and and they're they're mainstays of League Two now. And you, and you wonder if these if these clubs are some of them are punching. Some of them are punching above their means. Like you, you get the impression with that, that Burnley might be one of those clubs that are they're a Championship club, sort of riding the the Premier League wave. And it, and when the bubble bursts, how are they going to get up? And they've done it once before. Whether they can do it again with sort of the exodus of players that is undoubtedly going to happen. Now they've they've lost like, Tarkowski's leaving. Nick Pope's just signed for Newcastle. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do with players like Raycourse, who obviously signed for reasonably big money in January. Yeah, he um, be there. you can't imagine he would be.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 like they've they've obviously got these new American owners. so They're going to have a bit of leeway. They've got company as a a manager, so you've got to think they're 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 being reasonably ambitious if they if they've gone for that. But yeah, like again, when when it like like Burnley spends 10 or 12 million quid it's it's a big deal it's a big deal for them and you do often find that those kind of clubs are much better when they're looking at at, at sort of free transfers and looking in the bargain bin than they are trying to spend 10 to 12 million pounds I think that's the hardest market in football that mid-range market because everyone can spend 75 million on a you know, if, if if you're a team that could afford it, if you're spending 75 million a player. You generally know you're signing a good player, you know. Obviously, you know, it can work out to varying degrees, can't it? But but, you know, you'd be reasonably sure that, OK, this is a superstar. They may or may not be a club legend, but we're definitely buying a player that is this, you know, that is this. Whereas. That mid-range market, you know, somewhere between eight and 15 million. You could get an unbelievable bargain or you could get a flop. And for clubs that are spending in that kind of range of money, it's that's a dangerous game.
2: It's where clubs like, you know, I mean, Villa have done it reasonably well, haven't they? Arguably Everton haven't recently.
1: I mean, ever yeah. wasted money. and all kinds of money. It won't be. Good lord. Oh,
2: I mean, they, they, they spent some crazy money on El Nenny with, I mean, with a hostel like what the hell? How much did they spend on Delhi Ali? Uh, I mean, I'd
1: have driven him there for free myself. But but um, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I think not too much. I think ten million plus add-ons. But um, uh, it's ten million too much if you've actually watched him play for Spurs in the last two years.
2: I suppose some of these some of these signings are made out of desperation, aren't they? I mean, we, I mean, we go back to the Berahino one. It's it was it was desperation. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it pays off. But I mean, if you'd if you'd seen him play that season for West Brom, you could tell, you know, he, he wasn't quite the player he was this, the previous year. And everything you've heard about him since suggests it was never going to work out.
1: Teams will still keep teams will keep taking a chance on Delielli because they because you've seen him in those 20 goal seasons for Spurs being brilliant um and effervescent and, and all of those stuff. So he he's gonna keep getting chances because he's still young. Even when he leaves Everton, there'll be people going, right, we can unlock this guy, we can unlock this guy. I think his head's gone now. Um I don't know if you're gonna if you're gonna see a deli renaissance as much as I would like to. You know, he plays in such a specific position and I don't think I don't think many teams are going to just want to build their whole team around Deli Ali. But teams will take the chance because they they've seen the talent and they've seen that that he's been a
0: a superstar in the Premier League. So I think even I mean, if he doesn't do anything at all, he's unlikely to be one of the worst Everton signings of the last few years, regardless, because some of them have been absolute disasters. Thinking of, uh...
2: I mean, I mean, Everton's transfer business in the last couple of years has been has been diabolical, isn't it? I mean, I mean, even I mean, even down to selling luca Dean, I don't quite understand why they did it. But the players, <laughs> neither does anybody they, up here. Well, quite, and but you know, there's players like like Moyes, Keane, and like they've spent some crazy money on players who just haven't performed. Chank Tossen, and you you think like you know, a mile away, Liverpool, are, they're doing their research, they're dropping big money when they have to and when they when they feel it's right to do so. But they're, they're doing their due diligence on players and Everton are just the complete opposite. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked to see if they've spent similar amounts of money over the last couple of years. No, there's, there's, there's some, yeah,
1: there's a statistic somewhere. It's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. Like the amount they've spent, I think they've spent a billion in the sort of, the lad's name, is Shiri. Is that the same? Yeah, yeah.
2: Um,
1: like in in his 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 ownership, they spent a billion with
0: you know the result of almost going down. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And when I was looking at the names and kind of going through for this, one of the things I noticed is that there's a really bad year in 2014, I think it was, where you get the Jack Rodwell transfer, the Markovic transfer to Liverpool. Um, What else was there? The Mangala to Man City and Di Maria to Man United for 60 million quid and all of these big, big transfers that relative to the club size, of course, but big transfers that didn't pay off all happened at the same time. And I wonder if the reason that we don't see quite the same spectacular thing where so many clubs get it wrong at the same time is that actually the Everton's are becoming rarer and fewer clubs have that desperation now and are willing to go out and get burned. We still see some, and Man United have been burned horribly. They've almost swapped places with Liverpool over the course of the last decade. We've seen it with Everton, as we just said. But I wonder if more and more clubs, especially the the ones who are succeeding, have learned that the transfer market's a very dangerous place to be.
2: I think there are clubs who have worked out that you don't have to spend loads of money to survive in the Premier League. And Newcastle were one of those clubs. Like For 14 years, we we got by not spending lots of money, flirting with relegation some years. sometimes we got relegated, but most of the time we just sort of we'd flirt with it for two thirds of a season and then get away with it. And you, you know, you don't have to spend loads and loads of money to survive. You do have to spend loads to, to get anywhere close to winning it or to break the top four. And you could argue that spending loads of money and disrupting your squad, a la Fulham, a few years back, is actually more damaging than than making the most of what you've got and I think perhaps the Covid thing has also made clubs sort of have to tighten their belts a little bit and be a little bit more careful about what they do and there are also there are squad registration rules now that didn't exist a few years ago which means you know there's got to be a certain number of homegrown players and that you can have a certain number of foreign players in the squad and and things like that so they, they have those things to comply with as well so actually you, you find more teams are giving youth players a chance, um, Everton are one of them actually and again, I go back to Newcastle this this season. Like with with the amount of money that they they have at their disposal, they could have gone and spent ridiculous money on 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 some players who weren't in favour of their clubs. And in January, we've been linked with players like like, Ndombele, like Van like Beek, like Alley who would have been marquee signings, I I suppose, but wouldn't have been brilliant in what we were trying to do. But I think. Most people would agree that I think Newcastle have been quite smart with their signings since January, and 15 million pounds for Matt Target on a player who's proven himself in that role at Newcastle. Pro- yeah, you know, we were being linked with Renan Loddy from Atletico, which would have probably cost us twice as much. Would he have played any better? Would he have fitted in the system? We don't really know. So it's it's just that that sort of clarity of thinking about certain signings. I think more clubs are thinking about it. They're trying to think more about their structure and making sure they've got the, the scouting uh, infrastructure in place so they're not making these horrendous mistakes that we've seen over the last 30 years. It's always going to happen at some point, isn't it? You're always going to get like a high-profile howler of a, of a signing. But I think with the, the stakes as high as they are, it's, it's important that clubs don't make them. So I, mean, I think that, perhaps, perhaps you're right, you won't see as much
1: of it. That's why United stand out. is because they have purely been vibes signings since Ferguson left. It's just all been vibes. Th- throw the money at names, really. Whereas I think what I was going to say is that the the money ball approach from baseball has taken a long, long time, but that's finally filtered into into English football. And you see teams like you know, teams like Southampton making smart signings that fit into their system. You know, you could look at, you could look at Villa as, as doing that as well to a, to a certain degree. So obviously, they've gone a level up since Gerard joined, maybe in the sort of level of talent that they're signing. But but they made good signings under Dean Smith that kept them in the Premier League. So I, I think now that it's less about the manager's personality and just buying the players that the manager wants, and then if you sack the manager, then suddenly you've got a load of players you don't want. I think... It's coming round much more to a continental or American way of doing things where, you know, you're looking at the analytics of these players and how they fit into the system and how they fit into resale value and all those things. Um, There's
2: a huge amount of data available now, you know, and and I think there's a lot of interest in data around football and there's um, 100%. And we're just catching up now, really, when you compare it to American sports,
1: you know, we're, we're just on on the edge of it. really. I mean, who had heard of XG five years ago? You know, now it's everywhere. XG, XA and even more advanced measures than that. And I think that's leading to better scouting, isn't
2: it? I suppose all sports are kind of learning from it. And it'd be interesting to see if, you know, how I'd love to know how how some of these clubs come up with these transfers. Like, what do they look at? How how do they prioritise their signings? Because knowing how Manchester United prioritised some of their signings over the last couple of years would be absolutely fascinating.
0: Because well, that's that we, one we thing thought. I can say is that I kind of hope that even though they are moving in the direction of teams doing more of this data driven stuff, I'm still hoping that in the future there will still be the Steve Marley's and the Corrado Grabbies and so on, because they have always well, been an entertaining part of the game. Okay, I think we'll leave this one here as we've been running pretty long. It's uh, yeah, it's been fun to talk about all this. As I say, it's uh, they're they're good fun. They're not so much fun when they happen to you and your club. But one of the things about football being a zero sum game is that laughing at when other people get it wrong is always a good part of it. Um, thanks to for you know the conversation tonight, lads. Um, yeah, the big news I suppose is that the new series of Four at the Back, where we go and have our more standard episodes, is coming soon. We don't have a finalized release date as yet but keep your eyes peeled we will be back looking at some more classic teams from the Premier League era until we're ready for that we'll see you again soon take care